Well, our scripture reading, scripture reading is from the book of Matthew, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. We're coming down now to the last about 20% of the Sermon on the Mount. Today we're in Matthew chapter 7 in our scripture reading and text comes from verse 15 and following. Hear now the word of the Lord. This is Jesus speaking, of course. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased one bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. The word of the Lord. And you may be seated. False prophets. First thing I did last this week when I began to prepare for this message was I just sat down and pulled out a, my legal pad. And yeah, I use a legal pad. I don't use one of them silly little. <laughs> and I started sketching all sorts of groups and movements and things that, in, in my opinion, were false prophets led by false prophets, espousing false teaching, and in many ways practicing uh, wicked and false practices. And I filled up the legal pad before I could hardly realize what I'd done. And it stunned me. I began to think about it. I kind of knew this, but as I laid it out before me, the vast majority of what calls itself Christian today is false. That's just hard to imagine. But there are heretics of the first order, people that deny the incarnation, people that are totally mistaken about what authority base we have, whether it's the word of God or tradition or the latest word from man God told me this morning. And on and on I went. And I was frustrated to try to categorize it all because I wanted to spell it all. I wanted to name names. I know lots of names. And I wanted to match them up with doctrines and pull something out of the scripture. And I said, first of all, I don't have the time to do that. But more importantly, I really don't have the wisdom and discernment to do that. I get to make a good shot at it, but it's unbelievable the amount of false things that are being taught. In the name of the one who said, I am the truth. A little while later in this particular passage, we're going to get to where Jesus talked about 
those that did a lot of wonderful things in his name and what he'll say to them. We'll save that for a Sunday or two down the road. What I thought I would do since I filled up with a legal pad full of all sorts of false teachers and false doctrine and, and false movements and heresies and everything I could think of off the top of my head, I just decided, well, instead of sketching you my opinion, why don't I just read you a few words of Scripture and let the Scriptures speak for themselves and see what the apostles' doctrine is concerning these false teachers and how we are to relate to them and what we are to do to them. So this will be as about every third sermon I try to put together a listing and a reading of Holy Scripture. The first place I'll go is to Acts chapter 20. Paul is on his missionary journeys. He's coming back through a place where he had been before. He stops and the elders from the Ephesian church as well as the surrounding area probably join him for a real, real long sermon. And he's teaching them and he's telling them and testifying to them about how his ministry was among them. And in Acts chapter 20, verse 29, Paul says, Know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Notice Paul uses the same language Jesus does. He calls them wolves. Ravenous wolves are here to devour the flock. And Paul says, after I'm gone, these men will come in. But they're not going to come from the outside. They're going to come from among you. And that's my application here in a few moments. I'm going to talk about what's happening among us what the false movements, the false teaching, and the false doctrines are in the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America. We're not going to talk about the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witness, the Roman Catholics, and all the rest. We're going to talk about the Presbyterian Church in America. It's things that have arisen among us and are being taught and countenanced by our own pastors and professors and leaders. Well, that ought to hold your attention for a few moments. By the way, let's see how they did. The church at Ephesus that Paul was preaching to over in Revelation, Jesus speaks to the church at Ephesus after about 50 years have gone by, maybe 40 years have gone by. And so he has a critique for the uh, churches, the seven churches of Asia in John's Revelation. In chapter 2 there, the first portion, the first few verses, apply to the church at Ephesus, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? And then he says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. Church of Ephesus had managed to do it. They had identified the false teachers they had recognized the true apostolic doctrine and had held to that faith in, in a faithful and patient endurance. And you cannot bear with those who are evil that teach the false doctrine. Wouldn't put up with it. Called it out. Named it. And as we'll see in a moment, what Paul says, mark them, mark those that are false, and avoid them. 
And so that's what uh, the church at Ephesus had done. Now, he has some other critique of some of the things they hadn't done. One thing, if we're not going to isolate ourselves here, but he told them they've left their first love. Isn't it interesting? They were really good at discernment. They could tell what was false. They didn't put up with it. They disciplined. They, they put the, and avoided the false teachers. But they'd still left their first love. They had grown cold, indifferent, backslidden. What do you think their first love was? should be Christ, the bridegroom. Sometimes we can do that. Sometimes we can be real discerning and can really separate truth from error and falsehood from the truth and still lose our first love. Well, that's another sermon for another day. Let's get back on topic. Paul, in Romans 16, said just what a moment ago I anticipated it. Uh, He tells the people that they are to, I appeal to you brothers to watch out or to mark those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught and avoid them. In other words, watch out for them, keep your eyes and ears open, and when you discover them, when you discern them, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And that's a theme through this false doctrine warnings we find in the apostolic doctrine, the teachings of the apostles, is that these people are operating in the satisfaction of their own bellies. It's their own appetites. It's their own pleasures that they are really working for. They're working for their own uh, engrandizement, and they're working for their own profits. And these are the, some of the motives. But by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. That's another thing you'll notice about false teachers is they're usually excellent teachers. You know, if they were just incoherent uh, teachers and didn't have any appeal, you wouldn't listen to anything that said true or false. But because they have smooth teaching. They know theological words. They know things to say. They know the tone of voice. Then they know the temperament of God's people. And so they're able to be highly deceptive. And that's why they're told, we're told to watch out for them by smooth talk and flattery. Jude will say later on, if we get to it in a moment, he'll t- say they have men's persons in admiration they are people that like to be in high places, and they like to be with others that are in high places. Dr. So-and-so here, Reverend so-and-so here, Bishop so-and-so there. They have men's persons in admiration, and they, they, they move ahead by flattery, and they move ahead by, by compromise so that things can keep going and they can be elevated. One of the things you watch for. Well, let's stay with Paul for a little bit. Over toward the... Uh, uh, latter part of Paul's ministry, Paul was very interested in reaching people, but so much of his work in the latter part of Paul's ministry was where he would go back to places he had been before. If you see his missionary journeys, they're big circles on your maps in the back of your Bible. You know, they start in Antioch and they go all the way through and they come back and they go around and he goes to some places he's been, he's gone to some other places. By the time he writes the book of Romans, he's ready to, to operate and go all the way to the to uh, Hispania, to Spain and Portugal, to the further and western part of the Mediterranean. And he seeks to carry the gospel where 
the gospel has not been before, but he's still concerned about all those churches that he's planted and all these churches he's ministered to in his missionary journeys in the prior years. And he does another thing. He sends young men. He has a whole group of young men. They're listed in several of his epistles. He sends them to these places and, 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 and instructs them. And two of those men, we have some of the documentation that Paul gave them, and it is the man Timothy, young man Timothy, and also Titus. And Paul, several places, and let me just sort of sketch through here as we go. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1, 1 and 2, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits. Notice how the theme is false, it's deceit. It's misleading. Those are the things that, that, are, that are in the forefront. To deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars. Liars whose consciences are seared. Continuing in, in chapter 6, in verse 3, he admonishes Timothy. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. And he goes on to talk about quarrels and controversies that spring up and all sorts of things that are happening, constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and, depra and deprived of the truth. Well, if I was a preacher, I'd be a good two-point sermon right there. Depraved in the mind and deprived of the truth. And they're imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Is there anything that you've noticed in our Christian culture today where they're concerned with money? <laughs> well, that's who he's talking about here. He's talking about those guys I don't have time to name right now. But continuing on, let's sketch through this pretty quickly. Second, Second Timothy chapter... Four, verse 3 for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths is that happening in these days where you have attractional preachers who collect to themselves huge, massive audiences who come to hear? They come to hear, but they have ears that they're ready just to have scratched like you would scratch your puppy dog. And they tickle their ears and they pet them on the head and they coddle them. And they tell them things that are peaceful and good and success and prosperity. They say peace. That's what the word peace means, by the way. It means health, wholeness, prosperity, well-being. They say peace, peace. When there is no peace. Because the troubled soul of the wicked heart will never find peace. But will always be seeking. And always be churning. And always seeking in the these deceivers, these false teachers, will make that their operational principle. They will 
draw to themselves those that have itching ears, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Titus. Titus chapter 1, verse 10. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers. Same thing, false deception, lying. Especially those of the circumcision party. And we won't go into who that is, but Paul named that name. They knew who they were. And everyone else knew who they were because he pointed them out. They must be silenced. They must be silenced. They must be silenced in the a rebuke, an admonition, a reproof. Not silenced in any violent way, but silenced in terms of making their doctrines known and their mouths hushed. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain, shameful gain, that which they ought not to teach. And then Titus in 3, 10. As a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, having nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Paul speaks in the same terms the Lord speaks in our text, that you discern by their fruits, you know them by their fruits. There's a good tree bringing forth good fruit, which bears good fruit, and you know it, you can see it. It brings forth the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of holiness, then there is the bad tree bringing forth the bad fruit. Things that only deceive and only mislead. Peter, we've looked at Paul, let's look at Peter for just a moment. Second Peter chapter 2, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. They don't bring it in with banners flying. They bring it in with smooth talk, words of flattery, outstanding uh, presentations, charts and graphs, <laughs> you know, all kinds of PowerPoint presentations. That's how it'll come in. Be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. That's what Jesus had said. Peter heard him say it when he said it, that this kind of teaching leads to destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. Sensuality means they'll follow their emotions, their senses. They will follow their their, their feelings, the things that are, that are sensible to us. And because of them, the way of truth, truth as opposed to false, truth will be blasphemed. That's one of the interesting things is in our world today with so much error in the church and, and so, much, so many false teachers, when you do hear a, a sound, biblical, theologically orthodox, teacher 
they're usually blasphemed some way or another. If they're too biblical and too much dedicated to the word, it's seen by the people, they're accused of not having the spirit of God. Not realizing that it's the spirit of God that inspired the scriptures. Wouldn't have any scriptures without the spirit of God. Those that are in the Bible, they're not ignoring the Holy Spirit. They're going to what he said. They're the ones that are hearkening to his voice. They're the ones that's listening to the Holy Spirit. Not some of the people that are doing, I won't go into what's going on in the name of the Holy Spirit. I'm trying to be restrained today. How am I doing so far? It was the Holy Spirit that guides us into all truth. Those that wrote the scriptures as they were born along by the Spirit of God. So that where they ended up was where God wanted them. As the holy wind, the Holy Spirit of God, the holy breath of God inspired scriptures. If you want more and more of the Holy Spirit to be operative in your life, you need more and more of His Holy Scripture to be operative in your life. It's the Holy Spirit that enables you to understand the Scriptures. He is the one that illuminates and sheds light upon. He's the one that brings conviction to your soul when you read it and you say, this is verily the Word of God. There's a false dichotomy between the Holy Spirit and the Holy Scripture. If we're going to worship God and know God, we have to worship God in spirit and in truth. Thy word is truth. And that's how we come to know. And often the, the, the true teachers are blasphemed. They're accused of all kinds of nuances of error that are really more in the inferential reasoning of the hearers, not in what the man actually taught. In other words, they attribute the good word of the Spirit of God as blasphemy. So it's a serious confrontation. It's going to call for serious discernment on the part of people. Well, John, let me read one, one from John, 1 John 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets had gone out into the world. By this we know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess God, confess Jesus, is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist. That's what Antichrist is. It's that spirit that goes against Christ at every point. What world religions are anti-Christ? Well, I'm out of time, but will you grant me a couple of minutes to mention the PCA? Or maybe... Ultimately, wisdom and knowledge are not exactly the same thing. You need to know something. Knowledge, the Latin word that's used in all the theological stuff, is the word scientia, science. Science is knowledge. But wisdom is 
taking knowledge and understanding it in such a way that it can be applied, it can be used a certain way. It sets a framework for understanding all things. And the worst false teachings that come into the church are not the variances of doctrine. Whether you believe in baptism by immersion or baptism by sprinkling or whether you believe this view or that view and all kinds of nuances and two sides to almost every theological coin you'll ever study. Every doctrine in scripture is controverted in the, in the history of the church and it's a maze walking through it. But, but all of that be as it may and I'm all for doctrinal orthodoxy and doctrinal purity and correctness. But the, but the first principle of understanding the things of God is to understand God's viewpoint in the world, God's worldview. And any attack upon God's worldview is attack upon sciencia, knowledge, science. Because God created the world, and all things are as God created it, and it's all the way God called it to be. And we have three movements in the PCA right now. By movements, I mean to say there's outside influences, and then there are men within our denomination that are going to sympathize, accept, affirm, and even beteach subtly things that derive from these influences. Let me mention them to you very quickly. One is the feminist movement. Been around a long time. It's been around so long. We're in the third wave of feminism. And now it's an egalitarian view. It's a view of the world. It's a view of, of, of the way the human being is. And it says that there's such an, an, an equality between men and women, a sameness, no differentiation whatsoever, that you can have women doing things that God in his creation ordained man to do. It's an egalitarianism that says men and women are interchangeable. And it works itself out in roles of leadership. And so they're saying that women can be bishops and elders and presbyters and even deacons. And I wish I had time to work on that a little bit, but we're already out of time, so I'm going to borrow time anyway. I'll just suggest that to you and let you think if you can hear anything yourself in that area. The second one has to do with race. The Bible says that God made of humanity one race. There's no such thing as racism. It is God's one single race, the human race, Adam's race, and it's a fallen race, a sinful race. It's a redeemed race in Christ. There are prejudices, there are hatreds, there are all kinds of misunderstandings, there are all kinds of abuses and oppression that comes in and among the people of the one race. And it's based on all kinds of things, and we are now having men in our denomination who are intellectually flirting with, if not outright holding up to alien concepts that have come in, social Marxist analysis that starts with there are two kinds of people, the oppressed and the oppressor. And the oppressed are to be favored and the oppressor so that we have now kind of a chance to make, bring about a justice and equality, a fairness that is not the justice that God has set forth. And so we end up with all kinds of reverse racism. We end up with demands. We end up with perpetual guilt. You can never be forgiven of the sin of being one race or another. And that is pressing hard upon our denomination. It followed the feminist movement about 10 years ago. This one's been in our, in our midst now for about seven or eight years. And the, and the third one is the homosexual agenda. There are about five years we've had a Revoice conference that was hosted by one of our churches and what they talked about was a group of men who were gay 
that claimed to be Christian and wanted to be called gay or homosexual gay Christians. And the debate is whether you can be such a thing, whether you can identify with your sin and with your depravity and with your lostness. And, but the issue is not whether or not they can be in the church. The issue is whether or not they can be pastors, elders, and, and uh, officers within the church, men who identify with their sin. The, this, this conference, the Revoice Conference, was organized especially by men who know how to speak the language. They had been raised in conservative evangelical denominations. They knew all the tones of voice. They knew how to pronounce God just right. And, they, and so they come in smoothly and they talk all about warmth and sanctification and loving the Lord and worshiping and the spirit and the feelings. They can out-talk you with respect to the, the, the uh, trappings of Christianity. But yet they're bringing in this particular idea. By the way, the, they, they targeted the most conservative and dominant and staunch to this point doctrinal denominations, the Southern Baptist Convention, the Missouri Synod Lutheran, and the Presbyterian Church in America. They're trying to come in and bring this gay Christian, side B Christianity, and how these men can be officers in, in the church just as well. They've come from among us. They're smooth. They're very, very attractive. They're very subtle. They're very emotional. They're very... I, I sat through a General Assembly meeting in 2019 and watched a whole room full of Presbyterian elders, ruling elders and teaching elders, be enthralled by the testimony of one of these men. And that's what we got to look out for. I'm trying to warn you. There's no retirement anywhere in the Bible. I found a verse over in Ezekiel where it says that, uh, I mean in Isaiah, where it says the watchman on the wall has got to stay there for the duration and warn God's people about the enemy that is within us.